$64,000 question. How did I end up like me? All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to today's broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope you are having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing. With all the usual caveats, of course, with you as always, I am indeed your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tap, coming to you live from historic Rome County, Tennessee, and we are bringing it live at BTR. We've got folks hanging out in the chat room with me already. We've got Chief, we've got Bigfoot, and I'm sure a few other folks will straggle in as we uh, go along as we are just starting. Uh, for the benefit of those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast over terrestrial radio stations that uh, are kind enough to carry this independent show. Uh, the time of the live broadcast is, of course, March 31st, the last day of the month. We are already at April, guys. Imagine that. We are literally just a few hours away, but it is March 31st. It is 2021, and it's a few brief moments after 7 p.m. Eastern, at least at the time I'm getting started. Uh, wow. Uh, ordinarily, about this time, we would be bringing on my usual Wednesday evening guest, uh, Mr. Ron Edwards. However, Ron contacted me just a little while ago and said that he was not going to be 
uh, available. Uh, sorry, I'm chuck- chuckling a bit as Chief just says that he's uh, spelunking in the usual caverns. <laughs> uh, so uh, Ron has decided that uh, he needs a, a small break from uh, this evening's visitation here at Tap into the Truth. So uh, we will have to wait yet another week to get his takes on some of the interesting topics of things that are going around. However, that's not going to keep me from discussing it. So we will talk about uh, the topics in the show description as well as a couple of other things. I am still scheduled, and notice I'm emphasizing the word scheduled, to be joined at the bottom of the second hour tonight by Mr. Patrick M. Wood. He is, of course, the founder and director of Citizens for Free Speech, as well as the chief editor of Technocracy News and Trends, which is a worldwide journal dedicated to critical analysis of technology and globalization. So the technocracy, uh, if you will. Uh, He, of course, has written uh, four different books. I've got links in the show description to a couple of his more recent ones. Uh, He really focuses on big tech and their push uh, to try and, well, to to dominate the world. Uh, The megalomania that exists in the minds of people like, I don't know, let's say, uh, big tech giants like Jeff Bezos and uh, Facebook leader, CEO, last remaining in the big tech, all these guys. So at any rate, uh, we'll be talking to him about Donald Trump's expected move to, to bring forth his own social media platform. And we may touch on a few other things, but we'll talk about that primarily. Now, some topics that I did want to kind of just mention, uh, little headlines here and there, if you will, uh, because at this point, these are stories that still have a lot of moving parts, and I really don't like trying to give you anything in-depth on something where there's really not a whole lot of concrete things going on. Uh, But we do have this strange little thing going on over at – at the DOJ, uh, where an ex-DOJ official has been named during an interview with a certain well-respected, at least among the Trump side, uh, Trump supporters uh, of the American political stage, certain representative by the name of Getz. Now, Representative Guest has evidently been the subject of an investigation into uh, sex trafficking because the claim is that there was a 17-year-old whom he paid to have travel with him at the time. Now, she was 17 at the time. This was a few years back, and uh, that he was sexually involved with the 17-year-old. So this investigation, of course, reaches uh, trafficking because once you cross state lines, uh, that becomes it. If you are in any way engaging in uh, providing cash or gifts of value uh, involving a sexual act, okay? So uh, you're giving presents. Uh, she's giving you sex. You traveled. Oh, uh, my bad. She's only seventeen. Uh, Well, that's criminal activity. Now, the investigation, of course, uh, 
the representative has completely denied that there's any merit to and, in fact, has immediately assigned a specific ex-DOJ official as being someone who's tried to extort money from the representative, uh, clearly an attempt to uh, attack. Now, said ex-DOJ official has also come out and said, well, that allegation naming me uh, it's just a distraction from – what appears to be an imminent indictment coming forward. Now, I wish we lived in a world where we could just hear this story and automatically say, dang, well, there's another good one who did something awful and he's just trying to duck cover and uh, clearly he's guilty or we wouldn't get to this point. They, they wouldn't be continuing investigation if there wasn't – but we don't live in that world anymore. We do live in a world where we seriously have to consider it. Now, we don't have to believe, and it may not be, and I hope that it's not. But we do legitimately have to consider the possibility that this is, in fact, a hit job intended to try and take the representative out because he is someone who has stood up for America first ideology. This is a danger to the establishment politicians, regardless of party affiliation. They would love to remove him from the scenario, and any excuse they can find to do so, they're going to move forward. So sadly, we have to consider that that may be a possibility, that the representative may be telling the truth, especially since it's very bold that he's come out uh, on an interview with Tucker Carlson, although Tucker came out immediately after the interview and said it was possibly the strangest interview he's ever had, uh, probably indicating that he's got kind of an odd feeling about how the interview went. Maybe his spidey sense were tingling, thinking maybe the representative was lying, or maybe it's just so out of the ordinary for anybody in this set of circumstances to so quickly and so boldly flat out say, so not only is this a lie, but there is no person that fits the description of what they're claiming that's ever traveled with us. They may be trying to take my generosity with former girlfriends and turn that into something uh, nasty, but there was no one underage. This didn't happen. Uh, it's provably false and came out and instantly named the person that he claims was trying to extort him. Now, all of these are bold moves, and if – He's not telling the truth. It will not take very long for that truth to come forward. So very interesting. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on that. We'll talk more about it when there is more information to actually delve into. I personally hope that uh, the representative is telling the truth. I really do. But at this point, uh, shame on me, but I think we got to wait and see. Uh, also, another headline out there is that uh, leaders of 23 separate companies uh, – companies of uh, countries – I don't know why I got companies in my head. I, I was listening to a Great Reset uh, story just a little while ago, uh, so I've got all these companies and uh, various credit scores assigned by wokeness still <laughs> operating in my head. But uh, leaders of 23 different countries, uh, according to this report, support a treaty uh, that's been proposed for future – Crises, you know, like the COVID 19 pandemic. Um, according to the White House, though, they're saying that they're not big on the U.S. signing it uh, because the timing isn't right. So, uh, what all is in this treaty? That's something I'll be taking a closer look at, and I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about that in the near future. Um, haven't had a good AOC story in a bit. 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was pushed and pushed and pushed to make some kind of statement about the crisis on the border uh, by media types and uh, constituents and other supporters and fans. They wanted to know her take, and it is her own fault since she had to go and do the whole drama routine uh, involving the kids in cages on the border during the Trump administration. Oh, this is terrible. I'm I'm crying at the pits, even though it was a fence outside of an empty parking lot and not – anyway, I digress. So despite all this pressure, she eventually finally came around and made a statement, sounded off on the border crisis, basically ignores that Biden had any part to play in this. Eh, it has nothing to do with Biden. It, it's climate change and imperialism and and trade inequities and Trump's fault. Yes, yes, yes. The white supremacy was to blame as a result, too. That uh, it's actually racist to call the current uh, unaccompanied minor issue at the border a uh, a surge. We shouldn't use the term surge. That's that's racist, uh, white supremacist thinking because these are not insurgents. What? That 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 is that is not what that word means, uh, Alexandria. Uh, that 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 is not not that is not a correct word usage. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, just gotta gotta talk about the genius. That we can expect from Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Uh, there's, of course, the Biden dogs back in the news. Uh, one of Biden's dogs uh, poops in the floor outside the White House diplomatic room, and uh, the biter uh, has bitten again. Uh, another Secret Service agent, this time requiring uh, medical uh, assistance. So. Now, obviously, the retraining, uh, it did not take. I'm surprised. Now, if this was still Trump and Trump had German shepherds in the White House, I'm sure by now everybody in the left and all the mainstream media would have already made the obvious connection that German shepherds are German. Therefore, they're Nazis. Therefore, uh, they're racist uh, attacking uh, people wearing black suits. Uh, so it wouldn't matter about the skin color of who's being bitten. Uh, they're associating the color of the suit. That's that's it. I'm sure that that would be the story we'd hear because it's gotten that crazy. Uh, Kamala Kamala Harris uh, has been uh, directed to take over the border crisis. Now we've talked about that last week. To this point, <laughs> according to the White House News Corps. Uh, Kamala still has zero intentions of visiting the border herself. She's she's in no hurry. Uh, Instead, she's going to be focusing on diplomacy. Uh, Now, what diplomacy exactly are we talking about? I don't know. Maybe she's trying to smooth over things with Mexico. We'll see. Uh, And obviously, insanity will pursue. Now, another big story today… As it was making its way around the internet, uh, and I suppose it's worth mentioning. I don't know how deep we should get into it. I'll probably circle back around to it later with our guests in the second hour because it's kind of 
goes along with the topic of what we're discussing. But now Facebook and Instagram have come out with a policy that any post whatsoever that includes the voice of Donald Trump is banned, period. Doesn't matter what he's saying. Doesn't matter what it's about. Doesn't even matter if you're doing an orange man bad thing. If his voice is present, it's banned. Why? Well, that's, that's what I want to know. Hey, Facebook. Hey, Zuckerberg. Why? Just ask him. Ask him for a friend. Uh, Chelsea Handler uh, made a, a little news, uh, desperate for attention at this point. I don't blame her. But uh, she got some blowback for basically saying that uh, Derek Chauvin should not have a trial at all. Uh, having a trial, it's pathetic because of the video evidence. Although I'm willing to wager that she's only saw a very small piece of that video evidence and has not watched the 40-plus minutes of the encounter that shows that the police officers involved, all four of them, Chauvin included, actually did a lot to try and accommodate George Floyd and had very few options granted to him as the guy was suffering from a uh, heightened uh, mental condition that is a result of the uh, drugs that he was pumped full of. He was ODing on fentanyl, and they had the excited delirium uh, that officers can tell you a great deal about on a regular basis. They see it a lot, and it's very sad that they do. But uh, it's not a case where – well, I will save that as I come back around, but I did think it interesting that enough people still understand that due process is something that at least the majority of Americans, even those who are at least uh, uh, slightly to the left, they're not quite willing to give up just yet. So that's a good thing. Uh, something that I saw that's quite uh, upsetting to me, GoFundMe. Uh, has pulled a fundraiser for the parents group that's fighting critical race theory. Uh, question mark involved as to why some people claim that there were activists that were putting pressure on them and they caved. Others are suggesting that GoFundMe wants to get a better social score rating uh, with this new system that's in place or being put in place, I should say. That's all part of the Great Reset. So we'll see how that plays out. I just – some other things. Uh, we'll start with the Georgia voting law. These new series of Georgia voting laws, uh, there's been a lot of pushback now from people who clearly do not understand, do not know what's going on. Uh, some of the latest involve like Mark Hamill and uh, directors like James uh, Mangold. Uh, they've come forward and they're saying that now uh, all of Hollywood should just boycott Georgia. Uh, other people are saying the same things. There's sports writers who come out and said that uh, uh, sports organizations, all professional sports, should boycott Georgia as well because of the new voter laws. Now, I made a post that got me quickly online, uh, quickly in trouble on social media online earlier today. I guess I was sharing the link about Mark Hamill's little statement uh, claiming that we should we should all boycott Georgia now because there is something that's very simple and straightforward here. Now, I said that there's uh, – anybody that's opposed to the new Georgia voting laws uh, fall into one of three categories, 
And the only reason I didn't split it into four categories is I think the last category uh, can be both simultaneously or can be uh, one but not the other. But the basic purpose is they're still lying. So I will give you those categories. Either number one, if somebody is coming out and they're saying, oh, this Georgia voting law is horrible. It's it's clearly racism. Uh, Joe Biden has said that it's uh, the equivalent of uh, Jim Crow in the 21st century. I've heard other people say it's Jim Crow 2.0, which is why that's in the show title today and part of the show description. But at the end of the day, all of that is hyperbole. The changes in the Georgia voting law are very simplistic and actually, for the most part, makes it a lot easier for people to vote. Now, what I stated that got me in trouble with the, the Facebook gods uh, and, uh, of course, the, the Twitter gods, they, they struck my tweet down. I'm surprised they didn't uh, take any further action from my account, but they, they did – uh, tell me that the tweet has been removed from the Twitter stream. I, I don't think it was up for five minutes, but all I said was part of one of three things. Number one, either if somebody's telling you that there's something bad about the new Georgia voting laws, either number one, they are simply, without having any knowledge on their own about what this law says, trusting someone else blindly. And that most likely the person they're trusting either is also blindly trusting someone else or they are intentionally lying about the bill. And I will stay with that. So if you just have a talking source, if you've got a talking point from a source that you trust and the source you trust is someone like a host on CNN or MSNBC or even CBS News, then – you maybe want to take a look at the bill and read it yourself. Well, it's not a bill. It's a law now. It's been passed. It's been signed into law. It, it is it is the law in Georgia right now. So either somebody's telling you it's bad, they don't know anything about the bill themselves, and they're just trusting someone else. Now, that's a mistake on their part. They should not do that. But it's hard to be too mad at those people because we've all kind of been there before about something. Uh, number two category is that they do know about the bill themselves, but they really don't understand what the bill saying. There's just a general lack of fundamental understanding. Like there still seems to be some discussion, some misunderstanding about the part of the law that says, uh, yeah, we're not going to let third-party people bring you uh, gifts. While you're in line, and that does include things like bottles of water and food. It does not say you cannot get – it's about time we send Facebook an audio of Trump saying you're fired. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> um, so if you're going – to look at it from that aspect, the left is lying about it saying, ooh, uh, they don't even want people to, to be able to have food or drink in line. Like, no, that's not what it says. It says as with anything else within the standard distance at a poll, which there are laws like this on the books 
literally everywhere. Uh, you can't campaign within a certain uh, distance of the uh, polling location. Uh, you can get, be right up to that 100 feet or uh, 100 yards or 150 feet or whatever based on from state to state it may be. But what they fail to acknowledge is that, oh, yeah, if you know you're going to go vote and you know it might be a busy voting day, that there might be a line, it might take you a while, you might get dehydrated. You know, in that horrific Georgia heat – I heard somebody say that specifically – Georgia heat that, yeah, maybe some of the primary voting, you might get a little warmish. But eh, last time I checked, once you got to the – uh, primary, so what you got past the primaries and got to the general elections that typically take place in November, uh, it's not as oppressive in the state of Georgia. Just a side note. So anyway, read it and don't understand it. That's the second category. I, I'm, I'm not understanding, so uh, I'm confused. So I'm still going to think maybe that's a bad thing because I'm not getting the whole context. Okay. So again, it's it's pretty easy to, to say, okay, well, here, read it again and maybe ask somebody who does understand it. will help you get a better understanding. Now, I think the part that made the most people upset, though, is the last category, and the last category is that they do have personal knowledge of the law. They've read it. They, they know themselves, and they are intentionally – lying to you about it because if you know it and you understand it and you still think it's bad you still think it's jim crow 2.0 still think it's jim crow in the 21st century then they are lying to you if that's what they're telling you they're lying either because subcategory a uh they just want democrats to win elections and they don't really care about securing elections they just want democrats to win or subcategory b which is even more nefarious that uh, they're just racist and they are exhibiting the soft bigotry of low expectations because their whole claim here of what makes it so terrible what makes it jim crow-esque is supposedly this puts an unfair and undue burden on blacks and other minorities. Okay, so here's what it actually does. You show up in person to vote. You need to have a photo ID. Okay? Ooh, I'm still waiting for somebody to adequately explain how that's a racist idea, especially considering that you literally have to have, to have a photo ID to do just about anything else Period. It's not hard to get a photo ID. Last time I checked, black folks were able to, to go get a photo ID, same as white folks, same as Hispanic, same as uh, our Asian friends, the same as any other subcategory that you want to stick a label on. Whatever demographic a person might possibly belong to that you want to label, pretty sure – they all can do this. But where it actually makes things easier for people to vote is they expanded the amount of weekend early voting that's available. They increased by two extra opportunities, both on Saturdays and in some cases on Sundays. It's like, where on earth 
is there early voting going on on a Sunday? Well, evidently in some places it doesn't happen here in Tennessee. So I'm like, why would somebody who volunteers to be a poll worker want to give up part of their Sunday to let people come vote? And maybe some of y'all, instead of going to go vote, especially if you're voting Democratic, maybe you ought to get your backsides in a pew somewhere as opposed to saying, well, I'm going to go support the socialist. Jeez. But uh, here's the deal. Jim Crow was a terrible, horrific effort to intentionally create a secondary, lesser status for black Americans. That doesn't exist here. Nobody's trying to prevent anyone from voting. They're trying to better secure the election. Now, there's also the aspect too, and it's an important aspect, that now all of a sudden you need to be able to at the very least include a driver's license number or a photo ID number uh, with your request for mail-in balloting, for absentee balloting. They just want you to know… They want you to be able to demonstrate that you are a real person and you are the person that's actually asking for this absentee ballot. It also says that, oh, by the way, we do have drop-off boxes for absentee ballots. But we're not going to leave these drop-off boxes out where you can or anyone can access them during hours that voting is not operational, during times that the polls are actually closed, you're not going to be able to have somebody show up at uh, 3 in the morning when nobody's looking and go in and, and change things out. It's just designed to secure what's happening. Somebody has to be present and available and monitoring the drop-off boxes. How is that a bad thing? I don't know, but it's racist. Let me remind you, this is the same group of people that want you to go get a vaccine passport. <coughs> we want you to get a vaccine passport to travel in this country, the supposedly free country. Free as in freedom, not free as in it's free to live here. That only applies if you're an illegal migrant here. Now, they want you to jump through every hoop for them. But they still want people that they think will help them win elections, think they're fighting for them, while they're really fighting for the right to make it easier to manipulate, alter, and change future elections. It is just that sad. Now, uh, Chief says leftists think that minorities can't use photo ID because they all look alike. Again, the soft bigotry of low expectations. I don't understand… Why uh, these folks aren't just angry every time this comes up. I don't understand why they don't get that this is an insult to them. Well, this disproportionately affects you because you're too stupid to go do the things that they're asking you to do. I've got a message for the folks on the left. I, as a conservative, happen to personally know a good number of minorities, especially among the black community. In fact, I have one who regularly shows up here for about an hour most Wednesdays in the first hour. Uh, now, he's a unique uh, example of the black community, but he is still part of it. But I happen to know people across a wide range. Uh, 
articulate, well-spoken uh, street. I got to know them from school. I got to know them from participating in athletics. I got to know them from work. I've gotten to know a good number of people, the the full variety uh, of uh, wide range. Now, here's the one thing that I can tell you that the overwhelming majority of the people that I know that are from any minority were, were pretty smart. And I liked most of them, even though some of them didn't like me. That that sometimes happens in a work situation where you're a manager and uh, they're an employee who maybe doesn't like being held accountable. It, it happens. Now, that is also on an individual basis. But last time I checked, the way we're supposed to, to actually judge people, to ascertain – the quality of their character, which I seem to recall somebody kind of famous saying that that is, in fact, how we should judge people. I thought that that was the goal. I thought that that was the struggle, as it used to be referred to. We don't hear that terminology very much anymore. I guess that struggle is over now that they're the leftists, the, the folks that are supposed to be leading this movement, have decided to make it more about Let's go back to isolating ourselves. Let's let's go to self-segregating. So the struggle is over, and now the struggle is to try and just usurp the majority position and with the least amount of effort involved. But you should be making these judgments on a case-by-case basis. Now, I have known a few folks that are just flat out Worthless. Okay, that's that's the nicest way I can put it. But I have probably known as many, if not more, white people that fit that description than minorities. I've known a fair amount of minorities over the years. And again, a wide range of personalities, a wide range of personal strengths and weaknesses, a wide variety of how they communicate with one another. I've engaged with a good number of a lot of people, and most of them have impressed me in one way or another. And I wasn't impressed because I had low expectations. I was impressed because they were impressive people, period. But what I did is I judged them on an individual basis. And what's surprising is in these one-on-one -on -one situations, lots of times they get to do the same thing back. They get to do, oh, well, you're a conservative, but you're not that bad. You're not as bad as those other conservatives. What other conservatives? Oh, the ones on TV. Oh, the ones you don't know that you might also think aren't that bad if you knew them. All that's beside the point. The point itself is these people are not helpless. Biden, Kamala. Every member of the current regime of Operation P-Pads and Knee-Pads, they're, they're not helpless. They're not incompetent. They're not stupid. They're capable. Many of them are legitimately brilliant, <laughs> way smarter than you guys who are trying to set this policy. But you're selling some of them a bill of goods that you're promising things that can't possibly be kept by a nation that does indeed believe in offering 
equality and equal opportunity. That's supposed to be the benchmark in this nation. Not equity, but equality. Not a leg up or a handout, but an equal chance to shine, to be successful on your own merits with individual liberty and unfortunately also individual responsibility, which demands accountability. If you mess up, you pay a price. The bigger the mess up, the bigger price you pay. Hopefully, you learn from your mistakes, you move on, you get better, and you find your success somewhere. That doesn't work anywhere else in the world, but it still can happen now, even now in this country. As divided as it's become, as bad as the race baiters have decided to push the issue. <laughs> Bigfoot in the chat room says, I've had uh, black supervisors. Does that make me a white slave? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it doesn't, but uh, to hear the way some of the people are trying to frame this argument, particularly those on the left, uh, that has become a legitimate question, sadly. <laughs> uh, Chief says, when I had black officers over me, I just told them that they couldn't tell me what to do because of my white privilege. Guess how well that went over. <laughs> uh, well, I'm guessing in the United States Navy, not very well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's about time to switch topics as we want to talk a little bit about uh, the Derek Chauvin trial, where things are at. But before we do that, I think we should do an Edwards notebook and uh, songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. And if I feel like I've got enough time left. I may even do a Dan Foss Second Amendment bit. So in the meanwhile, you guys stay right where you're at. I'll be right back. Now, Ron Edwards is not with me for this hour, but he's still with me in spirit. And, oh, yeah, here he is also. The presidential election could look quite different in 2024 and beyond if Democrats and rhinos have their way. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. House Democrats have totally given up governing on behalf of we the people and simply desire to perpetually rule over us via cheating and scandals. So now they are in full support of the scandalous H.R. 1 bill or the so-called For the People Act. Among numerous horrendous aspects of H.R. 1 would do away with voter identification nationwide, allow for anyone including illegal border crossers to vote, the GOP also speculated that H.R. 1 is a strategic political move to grant Washington, D.C. statehood and ensure two more Democrat seats for the Democrats. Based upon my observations, it appears that Democrats are prepared to do away with constitutional restraints on government and pave the way for leftist-style official one-party rule with no tolerance for healthy debate or dissent. A sure recipe for sickening disaster. May God rescue us from this madness. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. 
sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Hello, this is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Did you know that the unemployment rate for homeless veterans was twice the national average? And without proper shoes, it's hard to get a job? Here's your Veterans Tip of the Day. People from all over the country helped us with our annual Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans. There was a time this summer where we believed that probably it wouldn't be successful because of the pandemic, but decided to go ahead and do it anyway. We reached out in the local community and on the various radio shows that I'm on asked for their support. In a little over three weeks, we received 400 pairs of shoes and over a thousand pairs of socks for homeless veterans so they can go out and look for a job and have a decent pair of shoes to wear. We at Songs and Stories for Soldiers and all the 400 plus soldiers who will receive these shoes and socks say thank you for your generosity. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. Is not this simpler? Is this not your natural state? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power, for identity. You were made to be ruled. In the end, you will always kneel. Thank you for your cooperation. Inconceivable! All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am back. That, of course, is the most recent speech from uh, the Biden administration, not from Joe Biden himself. Well, anyway, it sounds an awful lot like it, doesn't it? Uh, (laughs) They do believe that uh, they are intended to rule us. They do believe that we will kneel, that we will not uh, stand up, that we will subjugate ourselves to them. They are in for a surprise, despite their best efforts to neuter us, the American citizen, the American patriot in particular, their best efforts to disarm us to paint us all as terrorists for daring to speak the word liberty, for daring to take the words of William Wallace to heart when we say you may take our lives, but you will never take our freedom, which I thought I might scream for a minute, but uh, that's, that's not necessary. You know what I'm saying. Now, one such effort to try and neuter those of us who speak truth Uh, in the upcoming weeks, happens to be the Derek Chauvin trial. Not so much the trial itself, but uh, the media coverage thereof. I don't know if you guys have been noticing this, but there's an awful lot of folks trying to present to you that this is, in fact, racism on trial. This is an indictment of American society, where our civilization is, and the only right ending, the only right way for this to turn out is for Derek Chauvin to be convicted of all charges. He clearly committed an act of murder on the streets. Except there's a reason why they're pushing that narrative so hard. Because 
in America, we do have this little – it's more of a nuisance to the folks on the left than anything. It's this little thing called due process. And in the effort to provide due process to everyone, you do get a trial. Sorry, Chelsea. Chelsea Handler not liking the trial. There's video proof. Yeah, you're only seeing a small part of that video, Chelsea. So you know, look at the whole thing, and, and then look at the autopsy, and, and well, both autopsies, and, and then look at the fact that the prosecution's trying to build a case of it hurt people's feelings. I mean, I, again, I, that's been the most astounding thing to me so far. Is there have been people that were tangentially involved in the circumstance. I was there and saw it, and I've had trouble sleeping since. What does that have to do with the guilt or innocence? What does that have to do with the establishment of the act of murder? Uh, nothing. Nothing is the answer to that question. It has absolutely nothing to do. It's it's testimony that, yeah, if you were there and you saw that and that's what you think happened, I can understand how you could be emotionally scarred by this, how it could haunt you. Uh, they had the cashier that called the cops on uh, George Floyd and, uh, I've had trouble sleeping. Well, okay, and I get that you feel bad that you believe that a man died as a result of this interaction, but the facts – paint a very different picture. The facts paint a picture that George Floyd was very likely going to die that day regardless of if the cops ever showed up or not. He had that much fentanyl in his system. The autopsy, both autopsies officially conducted, one by the family, which was presumably uh, more gracious to the George Floyd narrative, and then one by an independent uh, individual who had no axe to grind, just looked at Both of them came back saying there was no bruising or crushing to the larynx. So then how do you expect to get a murder or manslaughter charge in this incident? Legally speaking, if <laughs> – a chief in the chat room says leftist philosophy, if you do due process, the process is doo-doo. <laughs> I believe you're right about that. There is no way to establish guilt of any of the police officers having involved in a criminal activity. See, that's the part they, that nobody gets. It's not part of the narrative. That footage where Officer Chabot, a former officer, had his knee – on the back of George Floyd's neck, that looked horrific. I was part of that bandwagon that also rushed to judgment. I was clearly, this is a horrific act, and this individual committed a criminal activity because he ended the life of this person uh, rather than just simply taking him into custody. But after seeing the expanded 40-plus minutes of footage from the officer's arrival – there's a very different story that's told here. After seeing the autopsy results, there is a very different reason why he may have passed on. There is literally no evidence that's been presented to this point other than just the sheer desire of the race baiters that indicates that Derek Chauvin was racist in any fashion, period. Or there's no evidence that he actually did anything that 
contributed directly to the death of George Floyd. And that's why due process is important here. I mean, even if you're looking at the difference between second degree and third degree murder within the state that this trial is occurring in, one of them requires that death occurred accidentally as a result of the commission of another crime. I believe that's the second-degree murder, if I'm not mistaken, which is why it was taken off the table and then reinstated later by a higher court, still trying to figure out why. Or that may be the third degree, whichever one it is, and they're trying for all of them. They're, they're thro literally throwing all the spaghetti noodles against the wall and hoping at least one string will stick. But what's, what crime was committed? What felony was committed that then George Floyd just happened to die while that – uh, felony was being committed. Uh, somebody tell me. He wasn't mishandling George Floyd, even though it looked horrific. At the end of the day, this was an approved technique by the police department at that time. Now, they've changed it since then. Again, not because it's particularly dangerous when uh, applied properly or even when you uh, don't apply it properly. Uh, you mess up a little bit, but you realize that you're messing up, and then you change up a little bit. It's not particularly dangerous. Not too many people suffer any long-term consequences from this, and usually if they do, it's a direct result of some other horrific uh, pre-existing condition. Now, again, if there was something horrible that happened here, I would have to say there it is. Now, I tend to believe that he was motivated by this uh, supposed pre-existing beef that uh, Chauvin and uh, Floyd supposedly had from a previous work incident. But you know, I haven't heard anybody even bring that up anymore, so it's almost to the point where since I'm not finding anything, that maybe that was just some – misinformation floating around. Maybe it's been debunked since then, so nobody talks about that aspect. That's literally the only aspect of the story that still uh, even slightly indicates that there may have been a reason, a motivation for Chauvin to treat Floyd in a way beyond what you would treat any other normal suspect in this circumstance. It was George Floyd who was literally stoned out of his mind. It was George Floyd who literally uh, – forced his way back outside of the police car, despite the officers making multiple attempts to try and keep him in and to, to make adjustments. Hey, we'll, we'll roll the window down. You'll have plenty of air. No, no. It was literally a case where the officers went out of their way to be accommodating to him. He's the one who insisted to be on the ground outside of the car. And it was the crowd that was coming around that made it necessary to get closer and to hold him in place and to be in a position where you then could instantly react should one of these people have taken some violent action towards the police officers, which was clearly in the minds of all four officers that were present at by that time. You could tell about how they were postured, and I don't blame them based on the actions of the crowd. Many of them were just yelling at them, but some of them were making somewhat threatening gestures and occasional movements towards them before backing off. It was the crowd that necessitated that particular move. Now, I've yet to hear anybody point that out. And at the end of the day, Chauvin should be held accountable for what he did if he had done anything wrong. 
but based on looking at the evidence that exists, based on the fact that you need – if you're going to go murder or even manslaughter, and manslaughter is a heck of a lift for the prosecutors in this case given the evidence that exists. Because manslaughter, they need to be able to prove that uh, he died because of reckless actions on the uh, part of the officer. The equivalent of uh, just shooting a gun into a crowd. Yeah, you didn't particularly target any one individual, but uh, you knew your actions would probably end in the death or severe harm of someone. Oh, well, it just so happens here, uh, it ended in death. They've got a tough – and the fact that the, the case they built so far, what we've seen in testimony so far, indicates to me that they don't have anything. That establishes that because if that's what you do, you don't waste time with all this. Uh, people had feelings, and people still have feelings. About, uh, it's no surprise right now that in the United States of America, people have feelings about this incident because the media has whipped up those feelings. The race baiters across America have whipped up those feelings. Idiot sports <laughs> – <laughs> Idiot athletes who think they're way smarter than they are have whipped up feelings about this. But those folks that are going around trying to prepare you for that acquittal that's most likely coming is because they know that they're lying to you when they tell you that this is how it should be. Because at the end of the day, they're not about to give up their right to due process. And they know that there's no case to be made here. You want to assume racism? Then make that assumption. But I hope most people understand what happens normally when you assume anything. And I suggest if you really want to know, just write the word down. Write the word down. Now, draw a line under the first three letters because when you assume things, more often than not, you make a – those first three letters out of both you and me, which happens to be the next letters that follow. Assume A-S-S-U-M-E. You make an ass out of you and me. That's what happens when you assume more often than not. Stop jumping to conclusions. But here's the safe assumption that most of these people are expecting. They're expecting an acquittal. Because the standard for murder and for manslaughter is beyond a reasonable doubt, which means it's a higher standard than simply a preponderance of the evidence. But there's not even, not really, a preponderance of evidence that makes the case that Derek Chauvin is directly responsible for the death of George Floyd. There simply isn't any there. And of course, I'm going to be accused of being racist and white supremacist and spreading that message by simply telling you the truth about what's happened here. And the other truth is that the people that are telling you that it should be obvious and that there's only one simple, easy-to-get-to conclusion and Derek Chauvin must go to prison, they know that the only way he gets convicted on any of the charges in front of him is if the system fails. We have unfortunately seen where there's enough pressure from outside forces that jurists will not do the right thing and where judges won't intervene as they should when they see a complete travesty of justice. We know that there is the potential that he may be convicted on something, but it will be a farce if it does. 
And don't be surprised if he doesn't appeal and win on appeal, if that should happen. But it is a horrific failure of our judicial system if he is convicted of anything because they simply don't have a case. Now, if they've got some secret evidence that they're about to drop from out of nowhere, okay. I am open to seeing this evidence. I am prepared to say that if you can build this case, then he should be held accountable because he should if you can prove he's guilty of anything. But proof is very different than I'm a leftist. I'm virtue signaling, and I think you should just do what I believe. It's not the same thing. But everybody who's saying that that's what should happen, they're still trying to use you. They want to whip you up into a frenzy, and they want to see more riots on the streets, more businesses burning down, and more anarchy. Otherwise, they'd be trying to keep you calm. They'd be telling you the truth, and they'd be preparing you for the most likely outcome, saying not because of inherent racism, not because clearly I expect them to walk because America is still very racist, but because… There's no evidence to prove the claims that have been made against him. No matter how it may have looked and no matter how you may think, his heart was set in that moment. Our court system isn't based on public opinion. It's based on what you can prove in court, and when that fails to be true, <laughs> when that fails to be true, we're – we're all in trouble, and I'm chuckling because Chief just said in the chat room, newsflash, secret evidence, Derek Chauvin is white. <laughs> all right, since the show is typically replayed one-hour slots on uh, terrestrial radio, we're going to take a little break right about now. We're going to reset the hour, so you guys who are here live, don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this, and for the rest of you, I will see you tomorrow. Remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take the other guy's word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, most importantly, to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Seems like a thousand years since we had real fears. But the old ones won't forget These broken levee walls Had a few close calls But they haven't fallen yet And you know the rain's coming The rain's coming All your days and all your nights It brings a storm on you When the sun beats down and it fakes the ground And you watch the rich land die Such a vicious drought Even hopes in doubt But there are no clouds in the sky But you know the rain's coming The rain's coming All your days and all your nights It brings the sun on you when you feel the first drop fall When it kisses your skin The storm will begin To bring with it promise of change When you hear the thunder roll 
around because of foreign wars we wage. More to do with the colors blue and red. You said you lost too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people try to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the dancing wind. Taking your rights to self-defense. They say you're safe, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn into guns. Schedule 
uh, situated and prepared weeks in advance, which would in turn therefore make it easier for me to set up the website page for the upcoming guest and try to get all that in order. And what I have noticed more often than not, however, is that if I schedule someone more than a week out, then for whatever reason, we tend to have difficulty making that connection. Either the calendars get mixed up on the other end or something happens. And this, again, is a schedule that was done more than a week out. So my fingers are crossed. Hopefully everything goes well. But as is often the case, if for some reason we cross up and we can't uh, get together and have our discussion with uh, uh, Patrick Wood, uh, we'll try to reschedule, and we'll try to make it sooner rather than later, and we'll probably be able to make that happen. I, I do think it's just an interesting conversation, the idea of Donald Trump creating his own social media platform. I, I think it's definitely beyond time uh, that we had more social media uh, platforms available for those of us with conservative or libertarian uh, rants and views and and ideologies. I mean, we've got a few, but as soon as you show up, you see something like Gab and something like Parler. And the, the left has to try and shut it down. Uh, they do their best. It's good that we continue to support these outlets and let people know that, oh, guess what? Spreely over here is good. MeWe over here is good. Gab over here is good. What? What? White supremacists? Nazis? Uh, well, there may be some. Uh, because these places are open and free uh, zones for free speech. You know, in, in a place where you embrace free speech, you may run into an occasional Nazi, but the emphasis is on occasional. You know why it's occasional? Because there's not a whole lot of white supremacists out there, despite what somebody like Michael D'Angelo uh, or uh, any of these other weirdos out there might try to say. You know, the critical race theory. Uh, panderers, uh, all of these folks, they want you to believe that there's white supremacists around every corner. Eh, there's not that many of them. Not really. Eh, truth being truth. All right, so anyway, hopefully we'll get to have that conversation uh, at the bottom of the hour. Uh, in the meanwhile, there are still a few topics that I kind of want to touch on a little bit and one that I definitely want to get into just a smidge more. And I talking about the voter integrity law in Georgia. Uh, evidently, Tyler Perry has joined the call. Uh, Tyler Perry wants the DOJ to investigate the state of Georgia. Well, Tyler, here, here's something that you need to understand. Right now, the Democrats are trying to push a bill that would essentially nationalize elections, which is, I hate to break it to you, leftist, completely and totally, utterly unconstitutional. The Constitution is very clear. The states have the power to establish their voting rights. Now, if you go after Georgia on this for any means and end up in a federal court, you're going to find out that you're derailing the Democrats' best efforts at nationalizing these uh, elections before you even manage to try and push this through the Senate. Now, hopefully it doesn't get through the Senate anyway, but right now, who knows? They are going to do away with the filibuster. It's a foregone conclusion. Uh, you can write it down, expect it. Don't care what Joe Manchin or anyone else right now is trying to tell you. It's happening. The Dems are going to do it because they can't move their agenda otherwise, and they're tired of even slight bumps in the road getting in their way, which is what they considered the entirety of the first 
term of Donald John Trump. And I say first because I would not be surprised if somewhere down the road he doesn't get a second. Just throwing that out there, partially to troll the leftists who might be listening and partially because I think that it's certainly a possibility. At any rate, Tyler Berry has joined the course of Hollywood types who seems to think that somehow Georgia doesn't have the right to establish its own laws in regards to uh, election integrity, especially, again, considering that that's really all this law does. I reiterate one of three categories for somebody that tells you the Georgia integrity law is a bad thing. One of them is somebody who has no knowledge of the law whatsoever and is simply parroting what someone else told them, blindly trusting them. Someone who does have knowledge of the law but simply doesn't understand what the law says. And then, of course, someone who does, in fact, know what the law says personally, does understand it, and is simply lying to you about it. Those are the only three categories. Now, there are two subcategories for the last one. Subcategory number one is that they just care more about Democrats winning than they care about election integrity, or subcategory two, which I think is probably in higher numbers and could possibly be a subcategory three where it's both A and B, but uh, subcategory B, they are in fact racist themselves, and they are exhibiting that so-called soft bigotry of low expectations. I don't even think it's soft bigotry anymore. I think it's pretty firm bigotry if you ask me. Anyway. Uh, another headline that's out there, uh, this one will probably be a blurb and done, obviously part of the culture wars. But in a, a recent news article over at CNN, uh, there are claims that their quote is, there is no consensus criteria for assigning sex at birth. I want you to think about that for a second. There's no consensus criteria. Then why have we been doing that? For centuries. In fact, I think you make the case for millennia at this point. Why have we been doing that? How, how can we – if there's not been a consensus on how to do that, how have we been doing it for so long and had such a high accuracy rate? This gender fluidity thing is a brand new thing. Where did it come? Is, is your, your DNA scrambled to the point that you no longer recognize basic biology? Uh, is the chemicals in your brain maybe off a little? But how does someone purporting to be writing a news article make such a blatantly false statement? I mean, it's bad enough New York now officially has legalized recreational marijuana. But the fact that CNN, formerly a news outlet, has decided that uh, this is something that they want to stand behind. There is no objective criteria for establishing gender at birth. Well, you know, if you hadn't tried convoluting the English language and changing the meaning of the word gender, maybe there'd be no room for confusion on either part. But gender and biological sex for 98% of the world population is in fact the same thing, and there's some pretty definitive uh, criteria for establishing that that are fairly evident even before actual birth, but even before the pre-born human has exited the birth canal. But that's just me. Also, uh, a good headline, a great headline, in fact, 
The Wisconsin Supreme Court has officially overruled their Democratic governor of the state on his mask mandate. Now, that's good. Not because I don't want people wearing masks if they feel like they need to. You want to wear a mask? Wear a mask. No mask shaming here. Some conservatives like to mask mask shame. Uh, I do not. I think if it makes you feel better or if you're just being respectful to someone nearby because you're willing to put them at ease if it does, if you're uh, trying to be conscientious, if you're trying to be uh, considerate, if you're just, you know, I, you've got a, a local business that says, wear a mask if you want to come in here, and you decide you want to go in there, so you're going to abide by their their request to do so. If any of those is true, then there's no reason why anyone else should say, hey, you punk, why are you just, uh, what? no, no, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Who you want to wear two? Don't know why, but uh, wear two. Wear three. Put a, put on a mask when you're driving around by yourself. Uh, don't expect me not to laugh at you if I see you. Uh, you're kind of asking for it, but if that's what you want to do, then do it. Uh, America is great that way, or at least it used to be. Would be great if it was again. Now, the big news of the day. Perhaps not adequately covered. Now, it's certainly covered and covered uh, depending on which outlet you were looking at, either with kit gloves or with a harsh uh, <laughs> harshness. Um, Joe Biden has formally announced his brand new two trillion dollar infrastructure plan. Now, obviously, he gave a speech on Wednesday. That's today, time of the live broadcast. Not sure when you're hearing it rebroadcasted, if you are. But uh, time of the live broadcast, that was today. He gave the speech, announced the $2 trillion infrastructure plan, of course, giving all the first official glimpses of the massive spending proposal that he proudly declared would be the largest investment in American jobs since the Second World War. Now, you and I both know that that's not what this is. It, it's a lot like the most recent COVID package, which, oh, by the way, they're also already looking at another round of COVID stimulus. Now, I don't know if you've looked around recently, but between uh, the fact that in most states that uh, cases are going down, uh, all indications is that the pandemic level of Infections are past. It's waning. It's basically over for the most part. Now, that's not to say there's not some places. Strangely enough, all the lockdown states that still have full-on mask mandates, they're still struggling a bit in places like that. But in the places that have opened up and have done away with the mask mandates, things are getting a lot better surprisingly quickly. Now, Hopefully that doesn't uh, take a flip, doesn't take a turn, doesn't keep Joe Biden from asking uh, for governors to reinstate their mask mandates, which, again, not constitutional in most circumstances. But hey, again, give people the option. Let them decide for themselves. It's the United States of America. 
Does a mask stop spittle from going very far? Yes. Is that a great way to stop the spread of a virus? Okay. But does a mask, especially a cloth mask, stop a virus from going through? No. No, it doesn't. So uh, you're stopping the spittle from going too far, but if you're speaking loudly, then there's a really good choice you could still be right through that mask, which strangely enough, if you're in a position where you have to be heard and you're wearing a mask, you typically have to speak louder than you ordinarily would. So hey, anyway, back to the story though. And again, I, I emphasize that we know this is not an investment in American jobs. How do we know? Because that's what he said it is. I have never seen a time in American history where the media and where elected officials and where freaking political pundits have so blatantly and boldly just lied to your face. I mean, we've seen them lie before. We've caught them in lies. We know it happens. But previously there has been some effort to to spin it to a direction so that when they got caught lying, they could say, well, what I really was saying was this, and maybe I uh, exaggerated a bit, but uh, the basis of my statement is still true, therefore I wasn't lying. But now they're just flat-out lies. Here, this is for uh, stimulus relief, even though less than 7% is going to the American people or to businesses. The rest is it's going to pay off our political allies. We're going to treat illegal migrants better than American citizens. And, oh, have you seen how they're treating the unaccompanied minors that are crossing our southern border? And yet they're still treating them better than they are us. Okay, so the plan, which, of course, would be Biden's second major legislative initiative, would allocate somewhere in the neighborhood of $621 billion for transportation-related infrastructure. $300 billion for drinking water-related infrastructure, broadband, and electric grids, and $300 billion for affordable housing and upgrading schools. And when we're talking upgrading, we're talking about Green New Deal stuff. So understand this is a waste of money to institute technologies that aren't ready for prime time and to basically downgrade the quality of life for anyone who's stuck in one of these locations. Furthermore, there's $400 billion that would uh, reportedly go towards care for elderly and disabled Americans. Uh, not sure how that's infrastructure related, but shocking, right? Uh, $580 billion that would be used for domestic manufacturing, job training, research and development. In other words, here's a payoff to the companies that uh, continue to supply campaign contributions to Democrats of import. Oh, am I being too cynical when I say that? No, no, I'm not. I challenge you to prove me wrong. If you're thinking that I'm not telling you the truth on that one, then by all means, as I always say at the end of the show, don't take my word for it. Go do your own research. Uh, please use more than a single source for your information, and please be thorough. And make sure that your sources don't have a vested interest in misleading you. You know, government-funded job training has done so well. Hey, learn to code. 
done real good. At any rate, of course, uh, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. said that his economic vision contains two parts. The American Jobs Plan, which is part of his infrastructure bill, and the American Families Plan, which he plans to speak more about in the coming weeks. It's unclear if he wants them as part of the same package or not based on how he presented them. But my guess is, why spend $2 trillion when you can spend $4 trillion for half of the result? It seems to be a typical governmental response. I mean, they've already talked about trying to tax you for every mile you drive. Now they seem to be backing off of that some just because people found out about it. And they're like, hey, wait a minute. Um, I live out in the country, and i got to drive 20, 25, 30 miles from my home to my job one way every day. You're going to tax me for that when I'm not on a major highway. I'm not on an interstate. I'm taking a freaking back road. I'm supposed these. I'm traveling roads that you're not going to spend a penny on uh, for upkeep because it falls into either the responsibility of the state or the county in which they're in. You're going to put me on the hook for that. Well, they got to find a way to to pay for all this, and we constantly see these efforts to tax literally everything. D.C. right now is talking about uh, adding a tax to soft drinks again. Well, you know, we, we don't want them doing that, but uh, you know, we need a way to get some extra money in the copper. So uh, uh, you want to buy a, a Coke or, or a Pepsi or, or any of the products that those lovely companies happen to distribute? Uh, well, then guess what? It's sugary. It's sweet. You might like the taste, but it's taxed. Which, by the way, is already taxed, so well, why not tax it a little more? Is there anything the Democrats won't tax? No. <sighs> anyway, back to the <coughs> little Biden plan. Quoting here, I'm proposing a plan for the, you, you, know, you know, the thing, uh, nation uh, that rewards work, uh, not just rewards wealth. Uh, you know, because if you're going to have wealth, you you should bring me my slippers and, and tell tell my dog to stop biting people, because uh, because he was trained. We sent him back home. He was trained. My German shepherds aren't racist. They're not biting these people because of the, my my dog wouldn't do that. But was I am I supposed to answer questions now? Uh, uh, why is President Harris not not helping me? What? Where's where's my where's my pudding? Where am I? All right, actually to the quote, uh, I'm proposing a plan for the nation that rewards work, not just rewards wealth. It builds a fair economy that gives everybody a chance to succeed, and it's going to create the strongest, most resilient innovative economy in the world. It's not a plan that tinkers around the edges. It's a once-in-a-generation investment in America, unlike anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. In fact, it's the largest American jobs investment since World War II. Now, that's a bold statement, and it sounds great on the space, especially if you lean slightly to the left. 
because you want to believe this guy. You want to still think he's a moderate. You want to still think he has his faculties among him, uh, and you still want to believe that, hey, yeah, he's he's cracking on the rich there, and he says it's going to be a fair economy. Now, fair is one of those words. He's not really supposed to use the word fair anymore, though, isn't he? He missed that talking point. He's supposed to be using the word equity. It builds an equitable economy because a fair economy isn't what those race baiters want to hear. The critical race theory folks don't want to hear fair because in a fair economy, that still means they've got to work. They've got to earn their income, and that's not what those folks are after. Gives everybody a chance to succeed. Guess what? We've already got a chance to succeed if people make good choices. Make smart moves. It's going to create the strongest, most resilient, innovative economy. How? You're literally taking every step you know to do to decimate the economy that was humming at the time you took over. Now, there's going to be a little bit of a lag because of this false, this false depression that we were in because of the government shutdown. People are anxious to get out of their lockdown situation. They're anxious to go spend money. There's going to be a bit of a bubble that, that exists despite the best efforts to deflate the dollar bill that they're working towards, despite the fact that right now it seriously looks like the uh, government is looking at moving away from paper money into a digital currency, which, by the way, be looking for that over the next uh, year and a half. Because they're not going to want to wait around on that one either. Just a little looking into the old crystal ball here, but uh, write it down. Remember I said this. Year, year and a half, serious move from the Fed. Uh, the, the Democrats want, to, want them to move forward so that Republicans won't try to stop them, and they're still afraid that they're going to take the Senate back. They should be afraid they're going to lose the House too because – Republicans made gains in the House in case they forgot. They're literally trying to destroy our economy. How do you make that the strongest, most resilient economy? By tearing it down. And that's it's well it's counterintuitive to say the least, Tim. But you have to understand the, the more intellectual concepts with the, the economic pressures that exist around the world and you know, we've still got to give everything to China. Now Biden said that the plan would allow the country to repair roads in difficult shape, to fix 10 major bridges and repair 10,000 other ones, to fix 100 percent of the country's lead-based pipes and service lines, to reduce bottlenecks in ports and airports around the country and create 500,000 electric car charging stations among other initiatives, that the spending in the plan would happen over the course of eight years. So it's not a, a we're spending $2 trillion Tuesday. We're going to spread it out, but they're still going to spend it, and they're still going to have to pay for it. And oh, yeah, Joe, how are you trying to convince us to move to green energy when you're going to put all these car charging stations around the country that are going to require – an alternative source of electricity to be used to charge them. And those charging stations are not going to be run on solar. They're not going to have little mini windmills, little pinwheel. <sighs> okay, what are you doing? I'm charging my car. 
that's not how that's going to work. And even if you could get there, okay, uh, the charging station is available, but um, only when the sun is shining or the wind is blowing. What am I supposed to do the rest of the time? Walk. It's it's a beautiful dream when you don't take a, a second to think about it. When you don't apply any level of critical thinking at all. I mean, on the cursory, off of the top, it's obvious that this is ridiculous. It's nearly as ridiculous as Joe Biden's press conference the other day when he flat out uh, changed up where the position of the United States is on the infrastructure. He threw out a completely ridiculous statistic that he made up. And then he followed it up with an actual statistic that puts us around 16th in the world. But that statistic, when you dig into it, you see that that's skewed in a rather significant fashion. Because as is often the case, when leftists are looking to use stats, uh, they're very selective about what statistics they use. Because anything that might run counter to their narrative, well, that can't be used. Biden also said that this plan of his will create millions of jobs, good-paying jobs, which in his mind means they must be union, because only union jobs are good-paying jobs, whereas an individual who has worked in both will often prefer not to be in the union because they can normally negotiate a much better salary based on their own individual merit, and most companies will pay you better. As long as you're bringing more value to the company. That's why collective bargaining uh, doesn't really elevate individuals very well. But you're going to create these jobs. Who's going to work them? All these people you're letting across the southern border? Because you keep making it easier and easier for people not to come back to work after COVID. So who's going to come fill these millions of jobs, these good-paying jobs? Sign off on a uh, a new package that just forgives all the uh, criminality of crossing our southern border and let these folks who are coming from Guatemala and Honduras and places further south just let them work on the infrastructure. Give them the good-paying jobs, let them send all that money back out of the United States. So you're really creating a great economy in Guatemala. Yes, big. Yes, it's bold. And we can't get – and we can get it done, according to Biden, although I stand by my original version. We can't get it done because it's all bovine excrement. It's just another excuse. To spend way too much money, way too many taxpayer dollars that I guarantee you will find its way into the pockets of political allies of the Democratic Party or specific Democrats. Where some of it's going to go to these places, they say, and that's part of why they wanted to take a while. Okay, we're going to spend uh, $2 trillion, but we're going to siphon it out a little at a time. Uh, why do that? Well, you know, shovel-ready is not always shovel-ready is the excuse. But the truth is, if 
we're not supposed to dole it all out at one time, then there's a really good chance that we don't get into any trouble when uh, we can't account for where all of it's at. Are you going to, I don't know, uh, audit these projects? Is it legal to write into the bills, write into these laws as they try to pass them, uh, a required audit from an independent uh, auditor? I think when it comes to anything involving spending… That would be a great place to take the entirety of the American spending deal. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I I am looking at my dashboard now, and uh, wow, it was really weird there for a second. I'm, I'm actually way behind on trying to call my guests, so if you guys will bear with me for just a moment… I want to try to give my guest a call. You don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. It's not so unbelievable that governments would want to disarm their citizens, but that citizens would beg to be disarmed by their government is a much scarier thought. We've seen government control most recently in Venezuela, where citizens are left to defend themselves against a violent government by throwing rocks, because not too long ago, they were disarmed by that very government under the guise of gun safety. Gun control laws like the ones in Venezuela are exactly what our political left in America would like to see here. As a mother, I am terrified. I have four children in our public school system, and if they knew that their teachers were potentially carrying a gun... They want to be disarmed by our government so badly that they protest in the streets, demanding that government take away their rights. All for that assault weapons ban, to keep these weapons of war out of the hands of civilians who do not need them. All for the prohibition of high-capacity magazines, because no hunter will ever need access to a magazine that can kill 17 in mere minutes. How does this happen? Well, it's complicated, but it starts with very powerful propaganda targeted at people who can't think. People who have been taught to believe that freedom is dangerous. People who can't think for themselves are targeted from many directions, schools, movies, news sources, and even their own friends and family. And once they're on board with the anti-gun fear campaign, they continue to perpetuate the irrational gun fear. Well, they have to justify their position, right? Also, yeah. don't need home protection. Um, oh. you, don't, you don't need guns for home protection. You don't want to bring more guns into a situation. The answer to solving violence is not more violence. Gun fear is cultivated purely for the purpose of gun control support, but the people who spread it don't always know that they've been misled. They think they're doing a good thing. These same people are taught to hate gun owners. They're taught that gun owners are recklessly and intentionally putting everyone in danger. They're taught that gun owners are the enemy, and more government control will protect them from the enemy. Why does anybody need an assault rifle if they're not going to war? I don't think there's any reason to have 33 bullets in a killing machine that you can take into a place like a school. Watch these anti-gun activist groups in action, and you can't help but ask yourself if they have any clue what the real results would be if they were successful. So what's the real problem here? Is it really guns, or is this about something else? I mean, do guns cause violence? How do we let the gun grabbers hijack the conversation and direct the focus to firearms 
when we all know we really should be talking about what causes human violence. You see, if we were to look at what causes human violence in this country, we'd be forced to look at gang violence, open borders, sanctuary cities, rampant pharmaceutical drug use, and gun-free zones, all things that the anti-gun political left supports. So to the anti-gunners, why in the world would you want your government to take away your rights? The Second Amendment is not a privilege. It's your right. I'm Dan Watts. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. service announcements and uh, the music, uh, extra bumper music as we were uh, working our way through this. But I do finally have on the line uh, my guest for this hour. Uh, He is, of course, the founder and director of Citizens for Free Speech, as well as uh, involved with watching the worldwide 
movement towards uh, technology, taking control, globalism, the whole nine. He's the author of multiple books. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, he is, needless to say, a tech guru as well. Uh, he's got his eye watching these folks. He's an expert on the field. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Patrick M. Wood. Uh, uh, Mr. Wood, uh, is, it, is it all right if I call you Patrick? Absolutely. All right, sir. Uh, obviously, there is for a while now been a clear-cut uh, bias against conservative ideology and libertarian ideology on social media platforms. Uh, that's to be expected when the people who are running them tend to lead in one direction uh, on the ideological spectrum. They don't typically like to be called out when there are failings with their ideas. And we've seen even as recently as the last couple of days where Facebook uh, has come out and said as a matter of policy there and uh, on Instagram that you cannot have any video or audio clips that even have Donald Trump's voice on them. Uh, it's, it's a level of insanity that is we've been seeing play out for a while. It's something that you've been uh, paying special attention to for a little bit longer than most of us. And uh, we do have some other opportunities now for social media platforms. Uh, we've seen the return of Parler. Uh, there are other alternatives that are true free speech outlets like Spreely and Gab, although they have their critics uh, and uh, accusations are thrown at them for a multitude. But the funny thing is where free speech is allowed, sometimes you're going to have some speech that's not pleasant or not nice. But the big thing going on now is it's been reported that Donald John Trump is fully intending on building his own social media platform. What do you see moving forward with this? Do you, do you count on this being more than talk? Uh, are you expecting this to happen? And if he is going to do it, which all indications are, how does this affect social media, big tech, and American politics moving from that point forward? Wow. Well, you know, the American way is competition, and um, where there is competition, and there hasn't been a lot of competition, by the way, before, let's say, two years ago, um, for Facebook, for Twitter, and for Google. There are emerging competitors coming up now. We know one got serious, pretty serious uh, treatment. Uh, that's Parler, and uh, Parler was literally murdered by a combination of Amazon, Google, and Apple. Um, they got too close to the fire, I guess, said, you're out of here. You're not playing in our arena. But competition is what we need. We have other platforms now that are really gaining steam, like like Gab and uh, MeWe and, and Parler's back online as, as well. There's a couple of other uh, smaller ones. But um, if Trump enters this this uh, this competition, if you will, and he loves competition, right? He, <laughs> nothing better than competition for him. But if he joins right. us, he's going to have an uphill sled because it's very difficult to launch a serious platform that's going to be impenetrable uh, by the critics who want to take him offline. So he's going to have to build his own server farm probably. He's going to have to have the best software in the world because you know every Tom, Dick, and Harry black hat hacker is going to be after him to crack it, right, and steal all the data. So he, because his name is Donald Trump, uh, his network 
would be a lightning rod, just kind of like he is, <laughs> would be a lightning rod for everybody that wanted to get rid of Donald John Trump. So um, it, could, it could have a positive effect. It could, you know, could have trouble. But it's not going to be easy. I'll say that for sure. All right. All right. Well, uh, playing devil's advocate here, if he takes all the necessary steps, he probably knows at this point if he's had the kind of meetings, upper-level meetings that have been reportedly uh, to have occurred, then he knows he's going to have to do his own server farm. He knows he's going to have to basically do the entire infrastructure on his own. He's not going to be able to count on Google Web Services. He's not going to be able to count on Amazon Web Services. He's going to have to market from the top, but he has the kind of power to draw attention. He knows how to use the mainstream media to get his message across as well. If he does this, and given the amount of followers he had on Twitter previously, uh, how do you think that affects those big giants, that competition? Is it a case where, while not easy, uh, he's able to take that serious swing that so far the smaller platforms haven't been able to? Well, definitely he'll attract a lot of traffic. There's no doubt about that. But most of these other platforms have started relatively small. Like In other words, they started from scratch. And this is a good thing because if you start with a fire hose on day one, you have a lot of extra special trouble that, that companies don't. You know, like when Parler started, they didn't have any users at all. Gab was the same way. In fact, the founder of Gab, his um, his handle on Gab is the letter A. <laughs> that was him. He was the first <laughs> one. Uh, so, you know, as the as the network grew, it gave them an opportunity to you know to work out the uh, you know changing servers, building you know expanding the universe of uh, cloud services that they had available to them and stuff, and they they ramped up to a higher volume as it came in. Trump. Trump's network, if he starts it, could start out, you know, pretty easily with five million users in the first day. Um, you don't snap your fingers and induct that many users into a, into any system in one day. Uh, it'll it bring it the whole thing to its knees. So they're going to have some startup issues like that that are just not going to, you know, you're just not going to snap fingers. Okay, flip the switch, dude, and uh, everybody comes rushing in. It won't happen that way. So. They're going to have to work into it over a period of time to get that many users on board. It could take anywhere from probably three to six months to bring in, you know, 10 or 20 million users to a brand new network. Yeah. Well, you know, that is something that a lot of people don't realize, especially when they're so accustomed to the logging on and then boom, they're there. They, they very rarely have those access issues and unless you're like myself and I'm constantly uh, facing off with uh, five, 10, 30 day <laughs> restrictions. Uh. I spend time in Facebook jail, but uh, it, it is something that a lot of people probably haven't put much thought into. Uh, it is important though, to do that competitive uh, thing. I mean, the whole notion was these are companies, when you look at Facebook and Twitter in particular, they wanted to become the public square. <laughs> they wanted to be the place where you went to go tell everybody what's going on, what you thought, and how you felt. Yep, yep, exactly. With, 
with that being the ultimate goal, do you think it would be fair or reasonable for the uh, federal government to step in to some level and start requiring uh, more free speech activities? Or is it just simply appropriate to let them do their business, freedom of association, let the users decide for themselves, and just possibly remove uh, the protections they have as platforms and make them, uh, if they're going to continue their current editorial uh, processes, to let them be what they've truly become, and that's publishers, not platforms. Uh, how do you feel on that particular issue? Well, I, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> if 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 the state governments and the federal government would enforce existing laws, we would be in the position that we're in right now. And I say that, uh, mm -hmm. I, I just say that absolute certainty. If you take, for instance, the death of Parler, of course, it has come back. It's not quite the same as it was because they can't get their app into the app stores at uh, either Google or Apple. But um, Parler was murdered by these three giant companies, literally murdered. The stockholders were, their equity is wiped out. The data that users had put in had value to them. That was wiped out. The employees that were there, they were wiped out. The money that they paid in advance for services was wiped out. That's murder. And you couldn't get away with that if you didn't like some guy down the street and you ganged up with a couple of other neighbors and say, hey, let's go burn that guy's house down. Well, you'd be in jail right now. Well, where's the, where's the Department of Justice right now to go after these three companies for murdering this company that had done nothing illegal? It wasn't even under investigation by the way, by anybody. And yet, they killed him. This should be prosecuted as a criminal offense, in my opinion. But then you have all yeah, I mean, the antitrust regulations that are on the books. They're not being enforced either. Thank goodness that right, governors like... No, go I'll ahead. say like Governor DeSantis in Florida, he stood up to these people and said... He's turning his attorney general loose to sue these companies or to, to levy a fine against them. I think it's $100,000 a day per incident for anybody that's an elected or, a, an, a, or any person running for office in Florida. If they get dropped from these platforms, he's going to fine them $100,000 a day per incident. Now, that, that adds up pretty doggone quick, I'll tell you. Because they've, they've censored a lot of people and dropped them from the platform. But DeSantis is saying, I'm protecting the people of my state. Now, that's a good attitude. You bring harm to people in Florida, the government's going to protect them. That's what every state ought to say. And any state could forget the federal rule, 230, and go after these companies directly with their own attorneys general. They could nail them to the wall if they wanted to. The problem is they don't want to. In many cases, they're complicit. In many cases, they're compromised. There's all kinds of reasons why they might not go against these big tech giants, but they could if they wanted to. All right. It would be nice to see them held accountable to the same uh, laws and rules and regulations that the rest of us are, uh, those antitrust laws uh, being uh, the primary amongst them as far – because it's very clear what they did uh, to Parler is a prime example of uh, them establishing a monopoly and deciding to work together to 
uh, put the fix in. And as you said, they did make every effort to murder Parler. That, that's a, a very, very apt description. Uh, we're actually already quickly running out of time, and I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, Citizens for Free Speech. Uh, this you is bet. something that uh, you're the founder and director of. Uh, tell the, the listeners a little bit about it in case they're not familiar. Absolutely. Uh, we have a website, of course, citizensforfreespeech.org. I encourage every American to come stand with us. We're the organization that shouldn't have to exist in America. Isn't that ironic? that in America we need an organization like Citizens for Free Speech. Well, we're fighting mad because we're losing the First Amendment every single day. We need to stop it, and only people can stop it at this point. So we're training up uh, literally an army of local activists that can get involved in their own local communities to drive this wokeness out of their local communities. And this is, I believe this is where the answer lies. Washington, D.C. is not going to save us. That's obvious. Many states, especially blue states, are not going to save us. That's obvious. But people can build a firewall in their own town, in their own city, to drive this stuff out and get binding resolutions where it can't happen anymore in their city. And uh, only people can be involved to do it. We're helping people get involved. That's, that's our whole mission, is helping people exercise their First Amendment rights to free speech and freedom of the press, freedom to assemble, etc. Yeah, given that uh, we're in a time where so many people feel the need to to self-censor what they say in public, and especially what they may say on social media, including uh, people that identify as liberal. Uh, sadly, the label of liberal I don't think is accurately used anymore anyway because a traditional – a uh, Traditional liberal is somebody that is all about freedom of speech. Uh, they are not uh, going to be the folks that are trying to squash speech, which unfortunately is where the political left is in this country right now as well as around the world. So it is ironic and terribly sad that an organization like that has to exist, but I, I appreciate the fact, sir, that uh, you saw that need and you stepped up and that you're helping to build a coalition of people so that folks don't have to be afraid to say what they feel and what they think. Uh, that's supposed to be a big chunk of what makes America so special in comparison to the rest of the world. So thank you. Absolutely. True. All right. Real quick, Patrick, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. Please uh, share the website and, uh, you know, share the uh, where folks can find uh, some of the books you've written, a lot of great information. Sure. Feel free to, to turn people on to uh, the uh, technocracy news and trends. Uh, anything you else bet. you want to share as well, throw it out there right now. That's right. Citizensforfreespeech.org, all spelled out, no hyphens or anything, not the number four, but the word four. And it's free to join. After all, it is free speech, right? So it doesn't cost you a nickel to join. If you want to volunteer and go deeper, why well, we can help you every step of the way. My professional website uh, is can be seen at technocracy.news, not .com, but .news. And uh, my books are available there. They're also on any uh, online bookstore in the world. Uh, they carry them as well. Some, some physical bookstores do as well. But uh, you'll see what the titles are if you go to technocracy.news and stay in the flow and find out what's going on. I think you, most people will be pretty surprised to see what the information that we've turned up. All right. Again, I, I 
both want to apologize for the uh, uh, delay in getting in touch with you, uh, and I want to thank you so much again for coming on, and hopefully, sir, we can get back together again and continue the conversation. My pleasure. Glad to help. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is, of course, Mr. Patrick M. Wood. Uh, he is the founder and director of Citizens for Free Speech. There is a link in today's show description that will take you to the website if you are interested. But if you can't get to the Blog Talk Radio link, uh, feel free actually to reach out. Go to tapintothetruth.com and uh, send me a message. I'd be happy to forward that to you if you don't uh, track us down over at BTR. Uh, I've also got links to uh, the Amazon site selling uh, two of those books in that same show description as well. Uh, I think it's very interesting, and I think uh, sadly because of being cut short with the technical glitch trying to get a hold of <laughs> him in the first place because at first BTR wasn't letting me call out. And then when I got a hold of him, uh, he wanted me to use a, a different number to reach him. So I was like, okay. And then it didn't want to let me call out again. So I had a hard time making the call. So thanks a lot, BTR. And meanwhile, I want to give a quick shout out to Brita Boy, who uh, is in the house, uh, as usual, uh, joining us fashionably late, but always the life of the party once he arrives. Thank you so much for being here tonight. And unfortunately, that's going to have to be it for tonight. Uh, please do uh, follow up and check out Citizens for uh, Free Speech. And uh, remember, <coughs> I will be back Friday unless something catastrophic happens. So feel free to join me Friday evening. Uh, and in the meanwhile, uh, don't take my word for anything. No, really, don't. I, I mean, you can trust me, but don't. Go out. Put in some effort to do your own research, but most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, guys, please uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, be smart out there, even if it goes against your nature. That's it for tonight, and uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate it. I'm out.
is using both hands. It's using both hands.